You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. A new show of The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is going on? Travel lagged after going back and forth from many different places for my birthday weekend, essentially it was. I was at my house. My brothers came over. We did a barbecue, a bunch of frozen drinks. And then Sunday, we were at the New York Mets game against the San Diego Padres. It was a great game. The Mets won. Well, only game they won in that series. How old are you? by the way. I am 27 years old. 27 years old. What an old man this man is. But yes, a lot younger than me. 13 years of age. You would have been in like middle school, high school. It is crazy. It just shows you how old I am. I'm as old as dirt. But if you met me, you wouldn't even think I was 40. No, I thought when I met you at first, you were 28. Last night, I was DJing a party. And one of the ladies came up to me and she told me, how old are you? And she saw Brittany because I was on a video chat with her because I was about to leave. And she said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 40. And she says, no way. And I was like, yeah, I'm 40 years old. It was so funny how her face just completely changed when I told Mm -hmm. her my age. So she thought I was like 26, 27 years old. So maybe it's the way I dressed. I don't have any wrinkles or any of that stuff. So thank God I have good genetics and we'll see how I age as I get into my 40s and my 50s. But yeah, I thought the same way though I, when I first met you I thought you were 28 yeah, that was like five years ago yeah five years ago when I first met you I thought you were 28 I think I thought Brittany was only a couple years older than me at the time yeah Brittany she looks young too yeah. so it's great genetics are great maybe because we don't have any kids yet I think kids age you that's what I've heard every single person I've ever spoken to when it comes to children they always say when you have a kid it definitely ages you it definitely takes a lot out of you so very interesting whenever I decide to have children I'll be very interested to see what my body is going to look like 10, 15 years from now. But anyways, we got a great show lined up for you. We are going to be talking to ex-Bronco, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. He's a friend of the show. He will be joining us a little bit later. We'll talk a little bit about his career and really what's going on in the NFL, his thoughts of the NFL and where the NFL is going. And why Um, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, I don't understand that. How does a guy that has 91 sacks and was one of the better defensive players at his position in the late 90s, early 2000s, thousands. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? Warren Sapp is. I'm definitely going to mention that to him. Why it doesn't make any sense how Warren Sapp is in the Hall of Fame and he isn't. So it's interesting. We'll see his remarks on where he believes he should be when it comes to the Hall of Fame. We will get into the Celtics and their interest with Kevin Durant. It seems like it's not going away. I don't know what's going to happen. I have a feeling Kevin Durant will be a Brooklyn Net before season starts. I can't see anybody making that surge of trading away picks and players of that magnitude to get Kevin Durant in their building. So it'll be very interesting. The Donovan Mitchell thing seems like it's not happening, but we all knew and a lot of experts said that this is going to take a while. I don't think the Knicks are going to bite on seven first-round draft picks. I think that's what they have been asking for. But I will say this. Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell were caught hanging out with each other at the Yankees and Mets game. So whatever that sells to you. Obviously, people on our show, Sports Loudmouths, think that uh, I'm out of my mind, but I don't think it's a coincidence. Hopefully 
play Donovan Mitchell, sway Jalen Brunson to become a Mets fan. Absolutely. We will get into what's going on in baseball. Yankees and the Mets trade deadline is next week on Tuesday. Yankees make a trade for Andrew Benatendi. The Mets made a small little trade. Nothing yeah. to brag about. I mean, they had a relief pitcher, but I believe the Mets are going to be very active when the trade deadline gets a little bit more closer, which probably in the next 48 hours. I expect the Mets to be a little bit more active than most teams, but that doesn't mean that they're going to land a big-time superstar like a Juan Soto, where I have a feeling he'll be sitting still until in the offseason. Probably winter meetings, so I, I'm interested to see where Juan Soto goes in the offseason. I know a lot of people say they're down to four teams that are going to get him, and the Yankees are one of them. I don't understand. We'll get into the Yankees and the whole Aaron Judge thing. I mean, he had his 41st home run the other day. He looks like he's just dominating everything that we expected him to do after the All-Star break. So I'm interested to see when Aaron Judge gets hurt and the fall of not breaking Roger Maris's record. And I say he's not breaking Roger Maris's record because a lot of people have broken it already, but everybody has not secured it mm-hmm. as a break. Roger Maris still has the record because of the steroid situation. We'll get into football. The Jets land their linebacker, sign a one-year deal with Kawan Alexander, one of the more talented linebackers when healthy in the NFL, played under Robert Sala in San Francisco. The Jets are bringing in ex-San Francisco 49er guys. DJ Reed actually played with him in San Francisco. Now you have Kawan Alexander, Salman Thomas, Lincoln and Lincoln Tomlinson. They're bringing in guys that were part of that San Francisco 49ers team when they were as dominant as they were. So I think the Jets are slowly but surely quieting a lot of skeptics. And I do believe at the linebacker position was so very important to find that guy to help them. Now I really believe the Jets secondary has really gotten better and their defense is definitely a huge, huge difference than they were last year. I have a feeling this is going to be one of the better defenses in all of football. We will also get into the Matthew Kachuk thing. If you really look at the the trade, I, I just think absolutely highway robbery. Yeah. And what the hell was the Florida Panthers thinking? Getting knocked down against Tampa didn't really make it easier for them. But One uh, of the biggest fall from grace that you'll ever see from a President's Trophy winning team. But you were right last week when you were talking about how the Islanders just stay away. You're trading a price that much, yeah. Well, the Islanders they haven't made any moves, and a lot of Islander fans want to jump off a bridge. But I think Lou Lamorello is going to sit back, and when he needs to snap, he'll snap on the guy that really stands out. It's very hard to just decide, you know what, I'm going to jump forth and get this guy. Because to me, I just see a player that might not fit that team. I think with the Islanders, they had a chance to go after Johnny Goudreau. It just didn't work out. They didn't want to overpay a guy. A guy that's getting a significant amount of money from the Blue Jackets, a long contract really has no size and that's something that the islanders really preach is size so i'm interested to see where luke goes i know lou knows he needs another offensive player it's been an off season of nothing except making that trade in the first round to add a good young defenseman who i think a lot of people even mikey c told me the other day says that he wanted him last year i think the islanders gave up too much for him but again that's what lou likes to do he doesn't care about first round draft picks as you've seen since he's taken over the islanders he's given away not one not two but three first round he's only kept one first round draft pick in oliver wallstrom That's it. And I was at that draft. I have not seen him draft on a first round since then. And that tells you about Lou and what he thinks about the draft. It doesn't mean anything to him. He has a thought on where he's going with the team, and he's going to follow through with it. But let's get into some baseball. You sit back today, and you wonder right now, the Yankees, they're playing Kansas City, and you say they're so much better than the Kansas City Royals. But the last two games, they have had a surge of less offense than you would expect. You're going to say, well, what happened Friday night? They had 11 runs. 
ones, and half of them were from Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge, to me, is one of the bright stories for the New York Yankees this year. The thing is, is Aaron Judge bet on him in the offseason. He believed that the Yankees should have paid him or should have offered him more. He was upset about the arbitration, how it was left to the last minute. That was something that really pissed him off. And you sit here after everything he said at the All-Star break, you wonder, does he want to be here? But that doesn't matter. When you look at the Yankees right now and you wonder and you judge what you've seen, and obviously Brian Cashman has been active since the All-Star break, bringing in Andrew Benatendi, you think that they're going to figure this out. But with Houston playing the way they are, Seattle making a trade for a top-end pitcher in Luis Castilla, and Seattle still facing where they can get into the wild-card spot, and they believe they can. They give up a lot for Luis Castilla, as well as they should, because if he's as dominant as people think he was with Cincinnati, he could be very good in the American League. But getting back to the Yankees, the Yankees' problem right now is their rotation. Luis Castilla has been on their minds really for the last three months. They struck out. And Brian Cashman usually does. Every single player that everybody says the Yankees are interested in, ever since George Steinbrenner has passed away, they've not gotten. And Aaron Judge, to me, should be the number one priority to the New York Yankees. This man has 41 home runs. He leads the league in RBIs. He's one of the best center fielders in the league. It's really amazing what this guy has done this year. And the last two years, staying as healthy as he's been. But again, sitting here today, the Yankees and Aaron Judge are not going to come to a contract agreement until the end of the season. Aaron is not going to sit there and negotiate any deals with the Yankees. He says he's going to concentrate on the Yankees, he's going to concentrate on the game, and then worry about it after. But if you're a Yankee fan today and you want Aaron Judge to sign, after everything that he said at the All-Star break, I wouldn't be excited going into the offseason. But we're not talking about the offseason because right now the Yankees have the best record in baseball. They're starting to get back into the winning ways after going 4-6 and six since the All-Star break. They're starting to win. And then the Yankees need to find runs because this is what happened with the Mets before the All-Star break. They couldn't get any runs. They were having problems finding runs and getting guys on base. And then when the Yankees get runners in scoring position, they have problems getting them home. So Brian Cashman, all the Yankee fans, all the doubters, thinking that Brian Cashman doesn't know what he's doing. He's an idiot. He's stupid. He's the worst GM in baseball. He makes a move for Andrew Benatendi, who's one of the best hitters in baseball. Yes, one of the top hitters in the American League, one of the top hitters in all of baseball. And got him for three prospects. Probably all three of them you'll probably never hear of. They might never even step foot on a major league field. Now, if Andrew Benatendi helps the Yankees win a World Series, it wouldn't even matter. They could have been top prospects. It could have been Dominguez. It could have been anybody. If he helps them, and he's a big part of the Yankees winning the World Series, nobody's going to care. So you sit here today and you wonder, what should Brian Cashman do at the end of this trade deadline? Here's what I would say. They need to add another arm in the bullpen. That is very important after losing King. I know everybody's going to say Loisica is coming back. Chapman just came back. I think the Yankees' bullpen will be fine. But King was a big part of that bullpen. The Yankees have made mistakes going after athletic starting pitchers. They are talking about one. I would stay away from any athletic pitcher. It doesn't make any sense. They've brought two athletic pitchers in in the last seven years. Sonny Gray being one of them, who was a top pitcher in baseball, and it didn't work. If the Yankees are looking to bring in another athletic pitcher, it's going to take a lot for the Yankees to pull the trigger on something like that. Yeah, I think because the athletics are going to be having a high asking price, too. If the Yankees were to have as high of an asking price, I think they would have went after Castillo. You're talking about Seattle giving up a lot the way they did. They gave up their number one prospect, a 20-year-old shortstop in Noel C. Marte, who the Yankees would have had to give up somebody really high in their system comparatively. 
Barkley, and the Mariners also gave up two other big ones, too. So that would have been the price for that. And Montez, I don't think, has been as steadily good throughout his career as Castillo has been. Now, his stuff is good. I'm not worried about him comparatively to the same as what Sonny Gray was, because I thought that at the time, Sonny Gray wouldn't fit with the Yankee because it's Yankee Stadium, not being a power pitcher. Now, I agree with you, should pursue more depth pitching more than it is quality of just one pitcher and having a, a lot because these bullpen, yes, they have some pieces that have been very good this year, but like you were saying, Loisega has been up and down with injury and hasn't come back the same yet. Chapman, since his injury, has not been the same. He was great the first month and a half of the season and all of a sudden fell off. So I think the Yankees could definitely use some more bullpen depth, too, to target. I love the Benintendi move. I was advocating for it at the time, even when it seemed like the rumor wasn't going to happen because I do believe that they want to keep Aaron Judge from having to play center field all the time so he doesn't get hurt. They lead his bat. Once they end up clinching and gaining ground, they're going to want to limit him where he doesn't get hurt towards the end of the season. So Benintendi playing center field, which he's done not as a main thing, but throughout his career, I think is a good idea. So I love that move. I would imagine one of them will hit for the Royals, but it's nothing that bad that's going to hit the Yankee system just because the Royals are good with bullpen arms, but nothing big. They didn't give up anything. And I think pitching depth, there's a lot of good relief pitchers on the market from both bad teams and also veteran guys that I think the Yankees could definitely target down the road. And Brian Cashman, you're right. He's going to make those gem moves that are going to make a difference, whether it's relief pitching wise or a starter that may be a fringe guy for the postseason. Pitching depth wins in today's baseball, not as much the raw like the Nationals had with the top three, the big three rotation. Like, you don't see a lot of those anymore. It's more pitching depth that wins. It's so funny how people argue that. Well, if you have these two-star pitchers, you're going to win. And it hasn't been that way for the last couple of years. The Dodgers would have five World Series. Yeah, it just, to me, it's all about relief pitchers and what your bullpen is going to do. And everybody keeps talking about how good Houston is and how dangerous Houston is. And the Yankees are going to have problems with them. We don't even know what this Houston Astros team is, okay? And their bullpen is not as good as they were when they were cheating. You look at the Yankees. The Yankees still have the best bullpen in baseball. Even losing King, they have the best bullpen, the most depth in baseball. But as the season slowly but surely comes to an end, the Yankees have to stay healthy. they got to understand who they are as an organization and a team, and make sure that they keep these arms healthy enough to get through the playoffs. With the Mets, I think when you look at the Mets, and the Mets have played good baseball since the All-Star break. They really have. They're hitting. They're getting pitching. It looks like Jacob deGrom could be back by next week. If you're a Mets fan, you should be very excited because you're finally going to get to see Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom in the same rotation. Two dominant pitchers, two of their era, really have been fantastic. And I think two Hall of Famers, no question. But you look at the Mets, I think they're bullpen. They have to reassure that this bullpen is better than it is. Because even in the Yankee series, and everybody keeps talking about they swept the Yankees, goody-goody gumdrops. That doesn't mean anything. The Yankees could lose all four games against the Mets this year. And if the Mets play the Yankees in the World Series... Who do you think is going to be favorites? Not the Mets, because the Yankees' bullpen is the best in baseball. And even though the Mets got that extra innings hit, and, and they look like, oh, we got to them, we got to them. The Yankees don't care about those games. I'm sitting here as a Yankee fan. I was not upset that the Mets swept the Yankees. A matter of fact, if you ask Josh, I said they were going to split it, or I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets sweep them in City Field. That's how sure I was that the Yankees weren't going to win both games as much as he thought it was. But they made a trade with Cincinnati. They added a bat. They added a pitcher for their bullpen. It's not the best relief pitcher. It's not the best bench hitter. But they added some depth. They need to go after another arm and a good arm in that bullpen. An arm that you could depend on in extra innings or middle of that bullpen where if you are pulling a pitcher in the fourth or fifth inning in the playoffs, you could take this pitcher and go three innings with him. 
They don't have that guy. They got Diaz, who could shut you down in the ninth inning. I wouldn't put him in the eighth. He's had problems pitching two innings. Yeah. He's not very good there. They need to find somebody between six, seven, eight, so you can get to Diaz in nine. And they don't have it. I, I don't want to hear about Seth Lugo. I don't want to hear about any of these guys. These guys have not secured their position in that bullpen. But that's the problem with the Mets. They'll get hits. McNeil's one of the best hitters in baseball. Peter Lons is one of the best power hitters in baseball. Lindor has hit, started to hit the ball. Escobar is far, finally hitting the ball. They're all trying to figure out who they are on this team and what the identity is of this team. But I think that this team is good enough as far as lineup is concerned, Speedy. But this bullpen is is one of the worst. Out of all the teams that are playoff contenders, this is probably one of the worst bullpens out of all of them. It lacks a lot of depth, too, when it comes to lefties. I think that's one of the reasons they made the move with the Reds. It's a small move, but they need they need the lefties in the worst way. There's a couple other targets. I was mentioning Wade Miley as a fringe guy from the Cubs. David Robinson's another game brought up if they want to package that. People are saying it's going to be like a package deal with those two guys because the Cubs are on a file sale. I would not take Contreras. I know everybody's sitting here. You have Alvarez, why would you bring in Contreras? I don't necessarily You're going to have to give up a prospect. I know. I want them to prioritize the pitching more. So You're going to have to give Beatty. But you're going to have to give Beatty. You're going to have to give one of your top prospects for Contreras. They're not going to just say, here, take one of the best catchers in baseball. We'll give them to you. Yeah, I want them to prioritize the relief pitching more. I definitely want at least two. The name they were brought up during the game against the Marlins yesterday was the Marlins relief pitcher. was a lefty Stephen Oakhurt is another name. 2.72 ERA. High strikeout rate as well for the amount of innings he's been in. And Andrew Chafin is the main guy I've been wanting from the Tigers too. Michael Fulmer, bring him back after being part of the Cespedes trade is another option if they want to take two from Detroit is definitely a possibility. But they definitely need some level of depth in that bullpen because yes, they're getting DeGrom back so they're going to have more depth in the starting rotation. Now, we'll see if those other guys can now pitch well out of the bullpen if that's the case. Do you have to move either Peterson down, which they started to do already because he's a lefty. Tyler McGill, when he comes back, maybe that's a role for him because you're right. Seth Lugo hasn't been good this year. He had that one strong start against the Yankees. That was it. Trevor May, he might come back, but he hasn't pitched well for the Mets consistently yet. And then Drew Smith just got hurt again. So there's a lot not to be able to trust in that bullpen. The second best pitcher in the bullpen probably right now is Adovino, but we know he could be very streaky. Even though he has a 2.35 ERA right now, it might be tough to trust from a day-to-day basis. And in the postseason, again, game-to-game basis. So I'm hoping for a Chafin-Miley combo or an O'Kurt combo, something like that, because they definitely need a lefty. But I want two relief pitchers if I'm the Mets. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some football. I know you can't wait for this as the New York Jets make a move that really stood out to this offseason. And if he stays healthy, boy, oh boy, the Jets have had a slam dunk offseason, adding a Kawan Alexander to that linebacking core of C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams. This is going to be a fun team to watch in this secondary. When we come back, we'll get into the Jets and everything that's going on in football here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. If you're a Jet fan today, you'd be a lot more happier than you were at the end of last season. 
With all the draft stock that they added in this offseason, adding Sauce and Garrett Wilson and Jermaine Johnson and Brees Hall and all the guys, all the studs that they brought in, and even in free agency, bringing in Lankin Tomlinson and the tight end duo in Conklin and Asamo, the linebacking problem the Jets had going into the offseason has been real. And a lot of people were wondering, where are they going to go at linebacker? I mean, C.J. Mosley's there. is a pro ball type of linebacker, fantastic player getting paid a lot of money, and this could be the last year that the Jets keep him in that lineup unless he takes a little bit of a A undergrade, but I don't know if he will. And then adding Quinton Williams' brother, Quincy, he has really shown that he could play. By the way, thank you to the Jaguars for giving him up, but that's just another stupid move by the great organization in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Before we continue with the Jets, let me just mention, guess who's already dropping passes for the Jaguars in their training camp? That's Evan it. Ingram! Wonderful. <laughs> Hot hands is back. But on Thursday, there was a story that the Jets were coming to a contract with Kawan Alexander, who played for the Saints last year, only played eight games, was not 100% healthy. But when he is healthy, he is one of the best linebackers in the league. He's one of the better tacklers in the league. The guy can play every single linebacker position, middle, outside. He can blitz the quarterback. He can do everything. And he can stop the run, which the Jets had a problem with, which crazy. They had a problem with it last year with Quinton Williams and the players that they had. But if you look at this defense from what they were last year, they are light years better. Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed on both sides. You have Bryce Hall now. You can move anywhere you want on the slot. Anybody gets hurt. They've got Carter, corner, who played very well in the slot last year. A lot better than anybody thought. Eccles. This is a great secondary. A lot of depth in the set. Probably the most depth in the NFL. You look at the safety positions. Jordan Whitehead. A lot of people think will fit this defense, especially Robert Salas, for what he does with the safeties. And you have guys coming back in the secondary who could, if they could stay healthy, could be a big part of where this secondary could be. And now you're hearing they could be interested in Bates, the safety from the Bengals, if they somehow pull the trigger on this, and Jesse Bates is probably a top three safety in football, if they can pull this and not have to pay him a guy over there in Seattle kind of money, <laughs> Adams himself, I think the Jets could go down in the offseason as having one of the best offseasons on the defensive side of the ball, Speedy, than we've seen in a very long time. Yeah, they would not have a significant hole if they were to bring in a safety of that magnitude in Bates. Now, it will be tough because I think the Bengals are going to be asking for a lot if they aren't able to sign him. I think they will end up signing him. I think it's just a matter of he's trying to get top five safety money and with Minka Fitzpatrick's contract, with Buda Baker's last year, I think they're trying to resolve it the same And a guy way. named Adams over there. Yes. I don't even want to mention his first name. I call him a guy named Adams because <laughs> I can't stand it. I think at that point, with the way he played last year, he might be more of the exception to the market. But there are other good safeties that are going to be in that realm that Bates is going to be wanting to get paid. And also on the Chargers and Derwin James as well. When he's healthy, he's been dominant, one of the best safeties in football. He is the best safety in football. So Bates is kind of looking for that ballpark. So, again, the Bengals are going to make it tough for the Jets. As far as Kawan Alexander, I love this move for a one-year deal. The money has not been disclosed yet, but the reason I like it a lot is he's a kind of different type of linebacker of what C.J. Mosley is. So I think they're going to counter each other well when it comes to play calls and being able to do things in different packages. Now, Robert Sala always has been more of a guy that's prioritized the nickel defenses in comparison to a base 4-3 or a comparison to blitzing in the front seven because Robert Sala's defenses have, I think, the second or third lowest blitz rate. Kawan Alexander, though, is a guy that can— He doesn't like to blitz. No. Zone coverage, though, I love with Kawan Alexander, and he's more— 
more of the speed zone coverage guy in comparison to C.J. Mosley, who's a little more of the physical type. So I think that counters each other well. Both of them can stop the run well. Again, it's just a matter of the same kind of thing with injuries. Same kind of thing with C.J. Mosley. Kwan Alexander missed a lot of games in the 49ers Super Bowl season. That only played eight for the Saints last year. The Jets have a lot of guys to help the depth with there anyway because of the safeties. You mentioned Jordan Whitehead, D.J. Reed. Also, they get LaMarcus Joyner back, who I don't love as a safety, but it could be a good slot corner. If he corner. stays healthy. LaMarcus Joyner's a good player. Yeah. He's a good hitter. He fits what Robert Sala likes to run. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was better as a slot corner, but DJ Reed can also be that too, and then he could be a safety. So they have a lot of options there. Jordan Whitehead is a good box safety run defense type. And I think a lot of the reason also the run defense was down last year for the Jets in comparison to previous years, they had a lot of injuries on the interior defensive line too. In addition to Quinn Williams, you got Sheldon Rankins too, John Franklin Myers, who just got paid last year, who played kind of up and down since he got his contract. But if those guys stay healthy, that interior defensive line becomes a lot more formidable. They added Solomon Thomas in the offseason, so they have more depth in that area to be able to caution for the injury. So you have a lot of guys that are injury-prone, but none of them are on big deals where you have to worry about it too much. And I think, like I was saying with the offense, adding the tight ends, you now add another concept to that defense, which is lacking. A speed coverage guy that's a great tackler against the run in Kawan Alexander and helps counter the, the skill set of C.J. Mosley very well. You look at where the Jets are from what they were Last year, they're a better team, really an organization that knows what they're doing now. Now, Joe Douglas has slowly but surely been not quiet this offseason, and and it's all going to depend on Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is going to have to show up every day, make the throws, get the ball out of his hand as quick as he possibly can, and make sure that he gets the completed pass. If he does that, I think this team is going to be a lot better than people think they're going to be. I I think they could be a 9-10 win season. Light years from what they were last year. Now, they have to stay healthy. This is a big problem for the Jets over the last couple of years. Health has been a concern. Losing Carl Lawson in OTAs last year was horrible. He didn't even have a preseason. You have to keep your most dominant players healthy. And I've heard Carl Lawson... Even though they're not even playing with pads, they start with pads on Monday. He looks fast. He looks healthy. That's something you have to look forward to. In an offseason where the Jets had nothing to brag about last year, everybody says they brought in Carl Lawson. There was nothing in the offseason last year that really stood out to us after losing Carl Lawson. As far as what's happened so far in football, DK Metcalf gets an extended contract from the Seattle Seahawks. We expected that. He, he wanted to be traded. Now he looks like he's very happy. He got a $70 million contract for three years. Do you think DK Metcalf is the best wide receiver in football? The answer would be no. Do I think he's a top 10 talent? I do. And Russell Wilson's going to miss him going over there to Denver. But I, I don't think he's going to be hard in to say that he's not going to get enough wide receiver play on the outside over there, something that he didn't have in depth over there with Seattle. But not surprised, Speedy, he got the contract. I I wonder, what are your plans with the quarterback play? Drew Locke is not the guy. More than likely, they're going to have to go after a quarterback next year. The draft is loaded with them, supposedly. Jimmy Garoppolo is still out there. Why not bring in Jimmy for a year? I I think it makes a lot of sense. Bring in a veteran quarterback. Bring in a quarterback that has actually won before. He didn't win a Super Bowl, but he has won. I would trust in a guy that has won than trust in a guy that's never won. You gave Tyler Lockett the extension, you give DK Metcalf that extension, and you have nobody to get him the ball. So 
what does that do for you this year? You're throwing away money from an organization that's had problems giving money to their players. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it seems like for a while the Seahawks were very well run in terms of they didn't give a lot of money to their players. They were able to balance it out, draft well, get guys to fit that defense on its peak. And their offense, they were able to just make it work with Russell Wilson creating and Marshawn Lynch doing his thing. But now since Marshawn Lynch has been gone, Russell Wilson has really been the focal point. He's played well individually, but the Seahawks really haven't gone anywhere as a team. And now... Now, they're really having trouble getting that when they haven't drafted well. They draft very weird, and now all of a sudden it's starting to catch up to them. And now they've gone to the other extreme, where we were talking about Jamal Adams before. They gave a big contract to him. They gave big contracts to some of their other defensive players that just aged out. Lockett, they got a contract. I thought he deserved his contract. And DK Metcalf, he got a big contract. I think they had to overpay a little bit in order to keep him, just to not have to trade him and trade Make him for him barely out. anything. Yeah, seventy-two million dollars for a three-year deal, twenty-four million a year, the highest signing bonus, thirty million in NFL history for a wide receiver, which is insane for a guy that he's been steadily good in the touchdown department, seven, ten, and twelve in his three years in the league, and I think consistency-wise, close to a thousand yards every year. But game to game is still where he's got to be a little more consistent as a whole because in certain games he's disappeared and that's been a big sign for why the Seahawks haven't win playoff games since he's come into that and that was always a big weakness for Seattle going back you're talking about it with receiving depth Russell Wilson at the beginning of his career barely had anybody and then it becomes a big strength of their team and they still can't go anywhere and NFL that wide receivers would be a lot more prioritized but we'll have to see about that as far as the quarterbacks I think they're full-on going to be not good and targeting one of the ones in this draft. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's going to be a guy that they're going to be targeting because the Niners, I don't know if they'll trade him to. Maybe if they cut him and somebody gets hurt, Seattle might do it, but I don't see that being a big deal. I don't think, I think they know they're not going to be very good anyway. If you're a fantasy guy, I would not draft any wide receivers on Seattle. I usually don't anyway. <laughs> Tyler Lockett, I do it every single year, and Tyler Lockett's done very well for me, but I don't know who's going to get him the ball. Drew Locke is not the guy. Not Geno Smith either, so you can't sit here and say, oh, Oh, well, Tyler Lockett. Uh, no. I tend to stay away from them because they're always so streaky. You had Lockett a couple times, you yeah. said. He's done well is it, Isn't he one of those guys that gets like 40 points one yeah. week and then he'll get three the next week? Yeah, but uh, that's because of the quarterback play. But anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking to ex-NFL player. This guy is one of the more likable guys that we have talked to over the years, and we're happy to have him. We will be talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive linemen. Trevor Price here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Finally, we have him on after a few years. We are now talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive linemen. Trevor Price. Trevor, what's going on, bud? What's up, man? How are you guys? Very happy to have you on. And- <laughs> there, yeah, the there you go. <laughs> I got the piece on. I see those fingers, man. It looks like they were bent back a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the bunny? Are you Bugs Bunny? Are you going to be in another, like, one of those Bugs Bunny movies, Space Jam? The movie was terrible. Don't tell LeBron that. He made a couple million off of it. He made a bunch of money. Warner Brothers did not, though. I know that as a 
fact. Could we call it Price Jam? That would be good. Let's not do that. Okay. Let's not do that either. <laughs> You're going to remake it into the better version. We'll make it a yeah. football version. <laughs> Bugs Bunny robs a bank in my version. <laughs> <laughs> As everybody knows, we're talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jet defensive lineman Trevor Price. Trevor, over the years, you've seen a lot of different defensive linemen come out of the draft, and some of them really stood out, and there are a couple of them that really stick out right now in the NFL. One of them is a guy that won the Super Bowl last year, Aaron Donald, who seems to be more and more of that prototypical defensive lineman you're looking to try to draft. They don't exist. One out of every generation are drafted at that magnitude. What do you say when you watch a player of this magnitude? At least from my experience of playing pro football, it's a couple of things. You had to have foresight. It said we're going to draft a defensive tackle who's six foot two tall, six foot one tall. He's a big, strong person, but he's not a big person. He's the size of a fullback. He's the size of some high school fullbacks. How many six foot one, 270 pound defensive tackles in high schools are getting, are getting recruited in a Division one school? They're just not. You never know, but he was that good. The other thing is, too, I read a thing years ago in Sports Illustrated where the defensive line coach that drafted him, I know, because he was a defensive line coach that everybody knew, Mike Waffle, he's a Navy guy. And Mike was like buzz cut, discipline. He was our coach at the Pro Bowl. He didn't smile. Mike came out of a (laughs) platoon movie. Mike was that kind of guy. Great guy, but he was not like that guy. But I read a thing that Mike Waffle, you realize that Aaron Donald didn't need a coach. And not because he's too good to have a coach. It was that he does stuff naturally. You can't coach unless let him do it. The third thing is they let him do what he wants. He played from what I think. Anytime you see the Rams give up a big run, you run at Aaron Donald. You don't run away from him. You run away from him. He's in the backfield so fast. But to go to get in the backfield, you have to open up a gap to go on alignment. If he goes around an offensive lineman instead of going through him and he doesn't make the tackle, the running back hits his head in the goalpost. And they just let him do it because you know what's going to happen? If he does that 10 times a game, he'll affect six plays. He'll give up one touchdown, he'll get two sacks, and the other seven plays, he will somehow cause the play to fall apart. So it is a level of freedom he has. You can watch him. Times he gets in the backfield, and if he doesn't make a tackle, he stops. He literally stops his feet, and he's like, it's not my job. I am back here if I don't make the tackle, but he makes such spectacular plays. It looks like when he's out there playing, he doesn't care what the film looks like on Monday. He's not going to get a minus because he jumped around a guy in a gap and opened up a big gap, and they ran for 12 yards. They're like, hey, line it up again. Because the next time he does it, he hits the quarterback in his face. So you have to live and die with that. So there have been people like him in the NFL. Warren Sapp was like him. John Randall was just like that. There's been guys that have been six foot one, that kind of athleticism. We had one at the Ravens. We had one, didn't play, didn't make the team. But he was like that. We had one in Denver. We had another short defense lineman. He was so fast and so quick, and he was six foot tall. And you wound up with these hybrid guys. Dwight Freeney was like that. He just run upfield every play. And he'd open up a big gap. And if they hit the head in the goalpost on their way down there, fine. But you know the next time he's going to cause a fumble. And now we get a touchdown. So you have to live and die with that stuff. And that's what it is. There are athletes like him in the NFL. There are defensive linemen who are athletes like him. But they don't have that kind of autonomy. Nobody does. I've never seen anything like it in my life. 
So we've seen a lot in recent years, the interior defensive line, especially in a 4-3 defense, get more prioritized with analytics and next-gen stats because a lot of running quarterbacks can get away from fast guys off the edge. So do you think that kind of trend will continue where you see these defensive tackles going earlier in drafts than we usually have seen before? Because really, it was only the Navigating Sue draft that we saw it that early. Sue wasn't that kind of guy. Sue's not that kind of athlete. You were comparing apples and oranges. Sue was old school and bump heads with people. Aaron Dowell's not trying to wrestle with nobody. He goes he goes around you, makes you think you're going to wrestle with him, then he wipes your hand, and it says, like, trying to block a windmill. His hands are consistently <laughs> spinning like this. And your hands out to block him, he flaps your wrist, and then he's at the quarterback. I mean, if Spain wasn't tired and had blocked the right way on that last play, Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl. Mm. And we all know that. He took one step, and you're blocking a whirling dervish. It's not as easy to teach and yet you have to get past the analytic parts of size and height weight you have to get past that part you have to go hey can he hold up okay can he hold up with a double team fine but what does a player bring that is greater than what he exposes because i'm telling you anytime the rams get a run look it up you run at him you never run away from him. you always run at him because he will open up he will open up defense like a garage door. But then you think he'll do that again, Tom. Man, so he's hitting your running back before he gets the ball. You just got to deal with it. They're not hard to find. The defensive coordinators are hard to find. Remember, he had Wade Phillips. Right. Wade was like, put your hand in the dirt and just go. And that's very difficult to do in a professional defense because the defense has to work. This guy's do something. This guy's do something. This guy. And it's a chain link fence. And one of those links is broken or one of those links goes forward and we're all going backwards or vice versa. The chain breaks. And they let him break the chain. Mm. And we feel go whichever way you want to go. They tell him where to line up. The rest of it's on him. And it's excellent. I wish I had gone through that. We are talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. Trevor, you watch the quarterbacks in this day game. And and obviously, the Russell Wilsons, the Aaron Rodgers, the Patrick Mahomes, the Deshaun Watsons, the athletic beasts. When you look at the time that you played, John Elway and Joe Montana and Steve Young, that 90s type of game. It's different now. Do you think that those type of quarterbacks can play in this time of football? Why not? A quarterback's a quarterback. There's no such thing as a bad NFL quarterback. Bad protection. You watch these seven on seven. I've never been in NFL practice and seen an NFL quarterback back up, practice squad guy, not eat up a defense in seven on seven. I've never seen it. They eat them up. And that's why you watch these kids post these videos and they look great slinging the ball sideways. And that's not football. To think they couldn't do what these guys do, they wouldn't be asked to do that. Like Baker Mayfield and Sam Darn are not going to be asked to do what the big kid from Buffalo does. Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen. Make me another one of those. Of course, we'd all like to look like that and run like that. But that's not how. Happening. Or Lamar Jackson. Those two are the two that I would. Josh Allen more so because he's 260 pounds. You won't see that. And plus, now the quarterbacks are protected, so you can run. So back in 2006, they weren't protected like that. I remember when Kiko Alonso almost killed Joe Flacco. It's a different game now. You can't do what you used to do. So now the quarterbacks protected. That's where the money is, and that's why we all get rich because of quarterbacks. So you guys could give them the leeway. You call it a day, and of course they could. John O. I've seen John O. Do balls at practice, man. He just like this don't look real. It's, it's how it happens. Yeah. So you got to. To play with John Elway. What was he like both on and off the field? And is there any good stories you have of John? If John didn't want to practice, we didn't practice. That was a fact. If he had tied one on the night before or if he came in, he was up night all day and he's like, yo, we ain't practicing today. We didn't practice. That I can tell you. 
That's a fact. Other than that, he was older than everybody else, so he was kind of like, it was wild watching him because he was knocked me pretty bad, man. It was like, yo, how's this man still doing this? And his elbow looked weird. It's like he was put together in like a lab. Like they stuck him back together with parts. Then you go to throwing the football, and you're like, well, that works. He was great. He was 37 when I got there. Which nowadays is like, yeah, so what? <laughs> right? But back then, nobody was avocado ice cream. Nobody was doing that. You watch the game and you watch the draft this year. And there was a lot of questions with this year's draft. They're saying that this draft was weak and there wasn't a lot of good quarterbacks in the first round. You see all the defensive players that were drafted in the first round this year and Sauce Gardner and all the different pass rushers that were drafted. When you look at this year's draft from last year's draft, do you think that this draft was weaker than it was last year because there wasn't a great top-end quarterback in this year's draft class? How would anybody know that? They have not put on pads yet. They have not put on pads. They have not played a game. Objections or whatever you want them to be, but I think if you ask any scout or GM or even players any nfl players been around a long time will tell you this the first day the rookies show up it takes five minutes to know which one they're going to be on this team or not you can tell doing warm-ups the way they walk the way they go over bags they're like oh this kid can't play dead and it's <laughs> we can project and that's fun and all but like mike tomlin this is not football this is football like so you don't know what these kids are going to be until they put on pads and until they turn on the lights. When they turn on the lights, things change. Who's the kid that got drafted first? The defensive end. Trayvon Walker. He's a great college football player, so it should translate. It should. Never 100%. But enough analytics and enough film watching. And he looks the part. He talks the part. He sees the part. But he was not supposed to be the first pick. He came out of nowhere. And Jacksonville was like, yeah, that guy. That is projections. And ask me this question next year. Came out of nowhere. That's a good assessment of the Jaguars draft room the last couple of years. Who was the lineman that you played against where you knew that you were going to be into a long day for when you knew that was the matchup? Will Shields. The Kansas City line was really good for a while. Then they got bad. All of a sudden, they were just bad at it. Then it was always somebody who wasn't like, I've seen two practice squad guys. I were like, you are going to the Hall of Fame. And he didn't play a game. Some people's bodies just react to other people's bodies differently. And I'm like, I can't get around this guy. I can't move him. He is bigger and stronger than I am. I don't know what's going on. Then he get in the game and people would body slam him and i'm just like this doesn't make any sense i am all pro and the kid was shipped out there was nobody that i was like okay this is gonna be tough the ones i see now would have been tougher the, the kid from the ravens Kaleche, he had gave me problems because he's so tall nobody really all tackles i don't like left tackles i don't have a pass move when i'm playing right defensive end so i'm kind of stuck out there just kind of wailing like a fish on a hook but inside guys inside guards and centers i go past them really fast you can ask them all as everybody knows, we are talking to former Broncos, Ravens, and Jets defensive lineman Trevor Price. Trevor, I'm looking at your numbers right now, and when you talk about Hall of Famers, and it's true, even Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp, he retired with 96 sacks. He's in the Hall of Fame. There are quite a few great pass rushers that made it into the Hall of Fame in the 90s. Why hasn't your name been brought up? You can compare your numbers to some of the great pass rushers in NFL history. Why haven't they talked about you going into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I don't kind of expect them to. I think some of that stuff, you have to have been good with media. You have to have been good with kind of the business of football. I wanted to be good at my job and I was like, hey, there's nowhere in my contract that said I'd be good at anything else. I want to go home. I don't begrudge anybody over it at all. There will never come a time where I'm banding or that kind of thing. But I believe someday they'll nominate me. Like, hey, wait a minute. That guy, Trevor Price, <laughs> anyone sacks? Put him up there. What is Sun doing? <laughs> it's pretty amazing, Trevor. I'm looking at your yeah. numbers right now. And I have six of the great pass rushers of the last 25 years. And your numbers are very similar from all of them. It's I missed, crazy. I missed, I missed two seons. You I still missed, had a I'm, long career. Anything? 
nothing over 12 no. years. To me, it's Hall of Fame light. Yeah, I could have kept playing. I could have played for the Patriots my last year. I, didn't, I said no. Bill flew me in. I said no to the Raiders, and I said no to the Patriots. I was retired, and they were like, please. I was like, man, I'm walking my dog. No, I can't. <laughs> I could have gone back. I could. I was in shape, too. I kind of stayed in shape thinking I might go back, and then the reality hits you. Like, wait, we're playing Sunday? <laughs> Leave no. it to the Patriots to do that. Of course. That was, a, was a real thing. I was like, no. I'm sorry. I was like, the smell of this grass is giving me PTSD. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bill. I had to sneak out of Oakland. And literally like, sneak out. They had, like measured me from like my pads. And they were like, where's Trevor? Trevor went home. <laughs> He's walking his dog. <laughs> Swear to God. I was in Oakland. They were like, yo, you're playing Sunday. I was like, yeah, man. I'm going to my hotel. I'm getting my stuff. I went to the airport. <laughs> you said to the Black Hole fans, no, I'm going down no, a little man. black hole. I'm not that, playing for that, you guys. That, that old facility had in Oakland, man. And it was black. It had no windows inside of it. Oh, oh man. What the hell is this? Man? It's so funny. You mentioned Oakland and Curtis Martin. I always bring up the story. Every ex-NFL player, and I became pretty close with Curtis Martin because I've worked with him at a bunch of these concussion things that he does yeah. out here on the island. And I said, where is your favorite place to play? He says, I can't tell you my favorite place, but I can tell you the worst place I played. And he told Oakland. me Oakland. He says, that place, the fans, when you're in the locker room, you feel like the locker room's going to collapse. Yeah, it's a raggedy stadium. It was bad. In Denver, we played them twice a year, so we always got that early game on the baseball field. It was, yeah. Man, it was just brutal, man. It was like, God, y'all can't get this together? It's a billion-dollar enterprise. Y'all can't do better than this? It was bad. It was, I could see how Richard Seymour was like, they were trying to pay him all the money. He's like, I ain't going. I'm serious. <laughs> I can see it, man. But he went. They paid him all the money, and he went. And he's like, I'm of course he went. Money talks. He was traded. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was like, they did what? But Richard was like, Sue. He wasn't like me. Like we're two very, very different players. A lot of this offseason, we're seeing these quarterbacks and wide receivers now, in particular, have a lot of power. Devontae Adams. Speaking of the Raiders, Tyree killed Miami. Can you see it to the point where those particular positions, or even superstars in general, have become more of a player-run league as a result? No, unless the contracts are fully guaranteed. That's never going to happen. When the contracts are fully guaranteed, they will run the league. But right now, they're not. Deshaun Watson is the only one that has a fully guaranteed contract that I know of. And the rookies. The rookies have fully guaranteed contracts. But your second contract has a signing bonus. Like, all the money that the Cardinals are putting into Baby Yoda. That <laughs> Baby money, Yoda. That money, what they guarantee him. He's not guaranteed the whole thing. That's all money on paper. Right? It's not real money. If he gets to that point, good for him. But what he's guaranteed is this. So I don't see that happening until the contracts are ironclad like baseball, basketball, and hockey. I've never heard anybody call Kyler Murray Baby Yoda. But that's what they call him. They call him Baby Yoda. <laughs> they do it. They call him Baby Yoda. Does, does he have powers like Yoda? Because if he does... Uh, when he sits in the end zone and crosses, he, he does it, he's Baby Yoda. <laughs> the teammates called him. Oh, I didn't make that, that up. I, pretty... I read that. Somebody really popular on his team called him... Chandler Jones, I think, calls him Baby okay. Yoda. That sounds like Chandler Jones. Yeah. That's something that oh, Chandler Baby Jones Yoda. would say. Baby Yoda. Look up Kyler Murray, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. <laughs> they probably needed a lightsaber as rookie year with how Yoda. bad his offensive line was. Mm, there you go. It was against Jacksonville. Kyler Murray broke out a Yoda pose celebrating touchdown. He scored a beautiful fake against Jacksonville. The reason I remember because I laughed very loud when I saw that. He does look like, you know, he is small. But but it's crazy how him as a quarterback, these offensive linemen, some of them are like 6'8". How yeah. the hell does he see over that offensive no. line and throw with accuracy? He, he sees through it 
and he sees flashes of what's around him. It's really bizarre. It's a legitimate question. How do you do this? I played against Doug Flutie at the end of Doug's career, but Doug always rolled out and kind of jumped and threw the ball. Kyler Murray, I don't know how he does it. Man is five foot eight, and his offensive guards are six foot five. So he sees pieces of the ball. It's a legitimate question. I ain't talking to an NFL player, and I can't answer it. Doug Flutie was one of the nicest people I've ever met. I met him at oh, my, in was, Miami. Doug was, greatest. Doug was so cool. Yes, such a nice guy. His family's great, too. Had yeah. a conversation with his wife. and Very, very nice guy. And his brother and him play in a band. So that was fun watching him sing in the band. After the interview, I said, well, maybe you should check me out singing. I was like, are you going to scare me away? That's something Doug would do. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Doug could talk to you for hours. He talked to me for like 40 minutes while everybody was trying to talk to him. He was talking to me about the quarterback position and some of the camps that he's doing. Very nice guy. Good for him. We were talking about Lamar Jackson earlier, you being a Ravens guy. He's the only last one left of these big quarterbacks to get signed. Do you think it happens? Even though we've seen the Ravens in the past sometimes let players go in their primes and draft well. Salary cap exists because the NFL gives them the money. They have to spend it. The NFL PA was like, you have to spend They have to give him whatever he wants. And they should have forced him into a deal two years ago when they yeah. saw what he was. Almost like a baseball. The baseball players, they see Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be a thing. Six years away from free, you see they gave him $300 million, and that was the biggest steal in the world. Now they're going to have to pay him $50 million a year. Just you saying $50 million, it's crazy. Because when you were playing, these guys weren't making that kind of money. They weren't making exactly. anywhere close to that money. Not 50 but I think there was somebody at 25 It might have been Aaron Rodgers. We were like, yo, there's no way it's going higher than that. It is twice that. And by the time some of these sixth grade kids are in these quarterback camps wind up in the NFL, it'll be $100 million a year. They'll make European soccer money. It's coming. Oh, you just throw your head. It's coming. It's good money. It's good work if you can get it. You got to be really good, though. I might as well have put myself, and my son's going to be playing football, too. <laughs> my son is not playing. My son's an IMG playing football now, but he's a baseball player. Good and for he, him. He will be in the big leagues at a very young age. Look at Jude. Son now in professional sports. He was in professional sports. Good for him. What's your son's name? Trevor Price. Trevor Price. Yeah, you'll believe me. You'll hear him very soon. But there's a kid down there that does what now? Well, good. We interview a lot of young guys. We're actually going to be interviewing Brandon Jacobs' son, who's a top-end offensive line prospect. He's an offensive lineman? Yeah. <laughs> 15 years old, 6'6", six, six, almost 300 pounds already. And he's probably all muscle, And too. he's 15 dad. years old. Like his dad. Yeah. He's 50 pounds bigger than his dad right now. He's a lot bigger than his dad. Yeah. Trevor is six foot tall, 250. He's 16 years old. Wow. My son runs like a deer, hits the ball like Aaron Judge. Wow. I don't know where he gets from because I can't hit a baseball. I know nothing about baseball. But kid just has power in his hips and his ass. I don't know what happened. Don't, don't tell your wife that. That's where he gets it from. <laughs> your mother's legs. <laughs> so there you go. If the Yankees lose Aaron Judge, there's a future Aaron Judge in the wings. Oh, hopefully <laughs> the, the Yankees <laughs> draft him. Yeah, you have your mom's hips and ass. Look at this thing. Look at the ball go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I'll ask him. Your father told me that you have your mom's <laughs> hips and ass. He'd be like, like yeah, my father I told do. you what? He'd be like, yeah, facts. My oldest daughter's built like me. My oldest daughter is six foot tall and plays tennis. Wow. So she's long and lean, but my son, he got them jeans, but there's some muscle in them jeans. This is wow. All. He probably runs a four six. He's wow. So wow. Fast. Wow. Metal linebacker. Anyway, funny, me and my daughter are talking about Miyamoto's. She just graduated from Cornell University. Good for her. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Just graduated, and I was like, Kari, <laughs> me and you are going to do a podcast, a sports podcast. You should. She was like, make it happen, old man. I'm gonna try. If you ever need any help with that, we can help you, man. I've been doing it for a long, long time. We can help I, you, man. I try to like talk to everybody, like, okay, Kari, live golf tour. 
go. And the coach has an Ivy League education. She just said a bunch of words. Well, yeah, juxtapose the people and live. And she says nothing. She goes on for 10 minutes, and there's nothing in there that makes any sense. I'm like, you're perfect. It's true. With sports media and with what radio is now, it's really just entertaining people. It doesn't matter how you present it. It's really how it's you entertain. People are going to hate right. you, and they're going to love you. It yeah. doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not worried about that part, but I'm like, Kari, watch sports radio. I just need an opinion. She's like, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's like, that. It's like Kari, you argue with me every time. I say something, you say the opposite just because I say it. So therefore, <laughs> we're going to do this live on the air and see what the hell happens. And then I was like, let's practice. Mm-hmm. I said, sorry, live golf. She said, I'm glad you asked me that, Trevor. I said, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> My agent told me, say, get me half hour of your best stuff. I said, it will be a train wreck. No, really, really it. What you need to do is you need to just start secretly researching three obscure sports and then challenge her. But she knows all obscure sports. That's oh. the thing. She knows what she knows. I'm like, we have a family fancy football thing. She wanted the year Lamar Jackson became a starter. And when she drafted Lamar Jackson, everybody laughed. Like, yo, what are you doing? And she was like, watch. <laughs> and sure enough, MVP. I'm sure she was jumping for joy. I bet you she texted out to everybody after he won the MVP. Oh, God. I told you so. We lived with that for one whole summer. We had to live with that. I definitely got to interview your daughter. <laughs> my son, last year, he went undefeated in a fit. We had 20 people in our fantasy football league. First of all, I just learned how to play fantasy football. Because like Ray Lewis, I don't play fantasy football. I play real football. I don't know what the hell fantasy football is, right? So then we had 20 people. Like people are playing back at running backs. Went undefeated. I was like, how? Oh. He'd be losing and then whatever kicker you had would get 20 points. And he just wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, they all like to brag when they win. They all like to brag. Say, hey, old man, you know football. I said, no, I don't know who those people are. You know who these people are. I do not. Get me Josh Allen. The rest of it, I don't really care. You love Josh. Allen. I do like a Josh Allen. I was a fan when they drafted him because you can't teach big, strong, rocket arm. Those are intangibles. Draft a guy with things you can't teach. You can't teach speed. You can't teach size. You can't teach talent. I could teach you where to line up. You were mentioning real football players don't play fantasy football. I actually did read something, though. There was a league at one point. I think it was 2008. I think it was Steven Jackson, Larry Fitzgerald, Darren Sproles, and a couple other players, too, actually did have their own fantasy well, I'm league. Sure, I'm sure a lot of them play now. No, they I mean, grew- when they were playing at the time, they no, actually I, were. I, yeah, I remember a they lot of guys young, they grew up playing so they don't stop because they're in the NFL. That's they, fair. They grew up doing like, like if my son decides he wants to play running back, he's going to play running back NFL. You're like, hey, I play fantasy football. I've been doing this since I was 10. When I played, I was like, fantasy, what? I don't even know what? I don't know. I'm not doing this. That's what I read about it. I was shocked because you're right. That wasn't that big of a thing back then. But you're right. I think even now, like even Austin Eckler, I think came on a fantasy show and like told him all, to start a somebody the, or something all, like that. All of them know how to disconnect their brains from their job. We all know how to do that. We all know how to, when we leave the facility, you become awesome. Austin Eckler. You know, you're not Austin Eckler the Charger. You're mm. Austin Eckler. So you can disconnect your brain and become a football fan if you're a football fan. Most of the guys you see in NFL grew up as football fans. Mm. They grew up they grew up chasing the game, right? They want to be like their heroes. But just because you play in the NFL doesn't mean you stop doing that. Well, we that. really appreciate your time, man. And really who you are, man. We'll definitely get you on again. If your son wants to come on for an interview, we would love to interview him. He's at IMG Academy. Believe me, they would put him on here, too. Amount of money, I pay that place, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> but we would love to interview him and keep up with the good work, everything that you do. And I do believe one of these days that you're going to get a phone call from the Hall of Fame and you're going to be nominated because I think okay. your numbers are good, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. We'll see. We have people that do get it. I really am. It means something to everybody. It means something. But means something means I played against it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm old enough for my teammates and mm. contemporaries are going to the Hall of Fame. I was like, I beat that guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of that guy. I gave Alan the business. Many <laughs> business. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's very good, except against me. 
<laughs> yeah, you can tell him that. Tell him I'll, you know what? I will. I'll say that. I'll throw him a curveball. Throw him a curveball. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, even though you know nothing about baseball, but I'll throw him the curveball. <laughs> twist the wrist. Two fingers on a seam. Twist the wrist. Twist the wrist. All right. Thank you so much, Trevor. We really appreciate your time, bud. Absolutely, guys. Trevor Price, Speedy, fantastic guy. And by the way, great knowledge of why he believes he should be in the Hall of Fame. But the problem is the voters. I don't think they have any knowledge. I I don't understand it. How do you pick on who should be in the Hall of Fame and who should not be in the Hall of Fame? Is it the 90 sacks? Saba Ali is a borderline Hall of Famer. We've talked to a bunch of guys that have played with him saying that he's a beast. Brendan Jacobs told us that Saba is one of the best players he's ever played against. I don't understand why these guys aren't in the Hall of Fame. In basketball, everybody gets into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Baseball's too tough. Basketball's too lenient. Football's kind of in between, but you're right. does have some stenches when it comes to... They don't let as many guys that aren't in flashy positions to be in. And Trevor was one of those guys. Interior defensive lineman. Played a lot of 3-4 end throughout his career. That's why I love Terrell Owens. Yeah. When Terrell Owens knew he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, he didn't even go the second year to take his trophy. He didn't even make his speech. He didn't care. And that's what I love about T.O. Because he knew it was horse you know what. (laughs) He knew that he was robbed to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no reason why Randy Moss is a first ballot Hall of Famer after all the things he's done on and off the field that Terrell Owens is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. It was an absolute joke by the NFL, and that's why I think the NFL and Roger Goodell are a bunch of idiots. When we come back, we'll get into some basketball as the Brooklyn Nets are planning or trying to get rid of Kevin Durant. Why I believe Kevin Durant will be sitting still in Brooklyn. We come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Aaron Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LA News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to argue this Till I'm blue in the face. And I am blue. I'm more purple with the weather out right now. I can't stand it. Who here likes the weather? Could you sit here and tell me the humidity, the dampness outside is something that you would just cherish and like to live in a particular place like Long Island? This feels worse than Florida. I cannot live here anymore. I have my air conditioning blasting in my home, in my car, when I'm going to work. It's just horrible. I, I don't know how you could sit here and say, well, Long Island weather's so good. I mean, I'm sweating my butt off. I will not go to a baseball game right now in this weather. I can't. I know the Beave went to one. Uh, he went to the Yankee game. How does somebody go to a Yankee game when he's not a Yankee fan? Why would you do that? Well, my friends are Yankee fans. What does that have anything to do with you? You're not even going to a Yankee-Met game. You're going to a Yankees-Kansas City game. Kansas City is a horrible team, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I was going to say. Why would you go to that game? It's not really that much incentive there. He did get a chance to see Aaron Judge hit two home runs in a grand slam. I mean, that was nice. But yeah. sitting here today and saying, well, I went to the Yankee game against Kansas City. Oh, great for you. Congratulations. I'm going to sit in traffic and deal with that. Good job. You cannot like this weather outside. But there is something that I find very, very funny in Brooklyn. Is a player of Kevin Durant's talents sitting still right now, wondering if he's going to go anywhere. Is the Brooklyn Nets going to trade him? Is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? Or is he going to go everywhere? Maybe we should cut pieces off of his body and send it to different places because it doesn't seem like they're getting the trade that they want. 
Right now, the Celtics have been the lead team to get him. And you're hearing the rumor that they're going to want Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and possibly three first-round draft picks, possibly four, to land Kevin Durant. Jalen Brown was one of the top all-stars in the Eastern Conference last year. Great two-way player. And Marcus Smart was Defensive Player of the Year. He's probably, and I, I hate to say this because I was wrong, one of the best perimeter defenders in the last five years we've seen. Those two players should be enough to get Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is 33, going to be 34 years old. Now, I think Kevin Durant is still a top player in the league. I think Kevin Durant's better than those two players. But to ask for three first-round draft, even though they're not going to be worth anything, more than likely, because the Celtics are going to be good, it still would be interesting to see what Brad Stevens is going to do to try to close the deal on Kevin Durant. Now, I don't think Kevin Durant's going to the Celtics anymore. I don't think Kevin Durant's going anywhere. I don't think Kyrie's going anywhere. It doesn't seem like those rumors are going anywhere anymore. It seems to be that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons will be starting the season as a Brooklyn Net. So you sit here today and you say, well, this is a pretty good team. Terrible personalities. Three guys that absolutely hate the world. Three guys that are not liked around the league. I would say nobody wants them. We all know the Kevin Durant saga with the Twitter accounts. We know Ben Simmons and what he did not going to practices and cursing out Doc Rivers. And we know what Kyrie Irving has done, getting coaches fired and people not even wanting to even talk to the man because he thinks the earth is flat. And tweeting in weird languages. It's a comedy show. The Brooklyn Nets. The Barclays Circus. It is a circus. But with the talent that these three guys are, you could be the best team in Eastern Conference. You could, on paper, look at being the best team. It's crazy. But basketball is different from football. With the Jets, the clown show they were with Rex Ryan, it's not the same thing. Basketball, you have three stars. You have three good players. You could win. We've seen it. So even though they're a clown show, I still think they can win the Eastern Conference. I still think they could beat all those other teams in the East, including the Celtics. So figure this out. I don't know what this team is doing. I don't know what's going to happen, but you're talking about practicing very, very soon. Ben Simmons going to have to see if he practices to begin with. Kyrie Irving might practice on his own anyway, so whatever formal practice they'll be holding. What is going on with this team? I don't understand. Barclays Circus, everybody. Maybe James Harden could go sell tickets for that. Could you imagine him on that team? Oh my God. Those four guys. James Harden was smart getting at it. I have to give him credit. There's no doubt in my mind that James Harden just wanted to get the hell out of there. He actually went to the 76ers. He took more money than everybody expected, but the Barclay Center is a circus. From a GM that everybody respected and really liked in Sean Marks, now you're wondering what Sean Marks is going to be doing at the end of this season. He might be working for, back with the Spurs or... Well, he got a three-year a extension, but again, we'll He'll see still if... be fired. They only gave him that three-year extension, ladies and gentlemen, because they want to make it be known that he trusts in them as much as they trust in him. So that doesn't mean nothing. How many times have we seen the Knicks give coaches an extension? Oh, sure. And they're still paying those guys. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Executives really don't have the power in, in today's basketball the same way they should because of the way the players operate, especially players like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons, who have a mind of their own sometimes. They are absolute clowns, all three of them. We should paint their faces. They were a joke. They're an absolute joke, but that joke could still win the East. If they work together on all cylinders, they could be the best team in the NBA. That's they the could. It's the crazy. Working on all cylinders. It is crazy. Which I, mean, I would give probably a 20% chance of happening. Yeah, because well, they have different personalities, right. but <laughs> If they can work together, Ben Simmons is everything that they needed for a perimeter defender. He can play multiple positions. He's not an offensive, but you don't need offense from him. You could take 
12, 13 points a game from him. He can ball handle. He's a very good ball handler. You can use him as a point forward. He could do a lot of things for the Nets, which they had problems with. The point guard position last year, they were horrible. They had Kevin Durant bringing the ball up. They don't need that. Ben Simmons could bring the ball up. He's a good ball handler. They have really closed in, and everybody's going to say, well, Kyrie Irving's the best ball handler in basketball. Kyrie Irving, we don't know how many games he's going to play. I can't trust that you can trust that Kyrie Irving is going to play 82 games. But if you don't have Kyrie in the lineup, you have a guy like Ben Simmons, who could bring the ball up instead of Kevin Durant. And that definitely closes everything out and gives Kevin Durant an opportunity to position himself to hit shots. So I still think that this team can win if they keep all three players. And it looks like it's going that way. As far as the Knicks are concerned, every expert we talk to, we believe it's a foregone conclusion, and that's where he's heading. The conversations have put on hold is that the Knicks are not willing to give up seven first-round draft picks. Danny Ainge wants to dig. He digs deep. He wants to make sure that the Knicks put themselves in a very bad position for the next 10 years. That The Knicks still keep their every other year pick. If they're winning now, and let's say Donovan Mitchell three years from now decides, you know what? I don't want to be a Nick anymore. I want to go somewhere else. That means the Knicks are going to be very bad, which means exactly what the Brooklyn Nets did when they traded away all their picks for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and the Jet. It doesn't make sense. So the, what the Knicks are trying to do is say, listen, we'll give you five picks. We'll give you quickly and either Obi or Grimes in the trade to make this and close this deal. Danny Ainge is not budging. He wants what he wants. And now you're hearing other teams involved. No, there are no other teams. The Knicks are betting against themselves. I think Leon Rose knows that. I think the Knicks organization knows that. So what are the Knicks doing? They're sitting still. They're going to wait and let Danny Ainge come to them. And it might not be right away, but I have a feeling in the next two or three weeks, it's just going to close. It's going to be very, very quick. And the Knicks will bite down and say, you know what? We'll give you the six. We're not giving you seven. We'll give you six. Let's get this deal done so we can move forward. Yeah, I think the price is going to be something that Danny Ainge is going to have to at least limit to drive down from seven first round picks. Probably besides Giannis and Luka Doncic, maybe. There's no individual player that's going to be worth seven first round picks. That's an insane amount. The Knicks are definitely betting them against themselves at this point because I think all the teams that have been rumored since then are more just surprises right now. The Heat have been the other big team that's involved, but it seems like they're more interested in shedding money to trade for Kevin Durant more than Donovan Mitchell at the moment. So I think the Knicks at this point have the leeway in order to be able to be patient with Ainge, but Ainge is going to have to come down at this because that's a lot to ask for seven first-round picks and Obi Toppin and either Grimes or Quigley. So you're looking at a case where I think they're going to end up settling. We've heard four, we've heard five. I think it'll happen at some point with that because I don't think there's any other competition Petition for where Danny Ainge is going to want. I think a lot of teams have backed out because of how stingy Danny Ainge is. So I think it, the Knicks are definitely betting against themselves at this point. I'm hoping that they don't have to trade as much as seven first-round picks to make it work. I think four with the two players I think seems the most likely. Maybe five if they get the years right or they trade one of the extra picks that they got in this year's draft because they were able to get a lot of draft picks where they have eight in a short time. But still... It's going to be very hard with the way Danny Ainge wants it to make it work. So I think it still will take a while. But still, I think the Knicks are the, really the only team that's serious contenders for Donovan Mitchell. There's no point. way in hell that Donovan Mitchell's going anywhere but the Knicks with what the Knicks are offering them. 
The Knicks are giving away two guys that could start on your roster. In Quigley and Grimes or even Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin can definitely start on your roster. I think the Knicks are going to do everything they can to keep Obi. And they would probably rather Grimes and Quigley. I hope you're right. I really think that the Knicks are trying everything they can to kind of persuade them to take Grimes so they can keep Obi. But it's up to them. It's up to Utah what they, where they want to go. I think they could use a power forward like Obi Toppin. He's very athletic, can shoot, he can get to the hole. I think the fans will love him over there in Utah. He's that type of player. And he, he's definitely good for the community. So when we look at what's going on with Donovan Mitchell, I think it's going to happen. Everybody believes that Donovan Mitchell will be traded to the Knicks. I think the Knicks know that. I, I think what the Knicks need to do is let Danny Ainge come to them. He's never done that. Danny Ainge is a guy that's stingy. He's a pain in the ass. He really is. And he hates the Knicks. He hates the organization as a whole. So why would he give the Knicks a break for Donovan Mitchell? He'd give the Celtics a break. Oh, sure. He would never give the Knicks a break. So Mm -hmm. I think Leon Rose knows that. Worldwide West knows that. I think the organization as a whole knows that. They're going to sit back and they're going to say, okay, you want to play this game? We'll play it. We'll sit back and we'll wait until you come to us and then we'll tell you, Okay, we're only going to give you four now. You mm-hmm. waited too long. Right. Now we're giving you four. Danny Ainge is sitting there. And he was playing games with the Knicks from the beginning of this because he says we're going to build around Donovan Mitchell. So the Knicks knew they were out of it. And then all of a sudden, a week later, says, I'm taking flyers on him. <laughs> He's playing games. He knows that the Knicks want him. He knows. I think everybody knows that the Knicks want him. And he knows that Donovan wants to go to the Knicks. Because he wants to be closer to home. His father is helping out the Mets. His mother. I mean, his family's over there. So he he wants to be in New York. He he grew up a Knicks fan. He wants to play for the Knicks. As you can see, he was hanging out with Jalen Brunson. So we all know that's where he wants to be. So why is this? A whole turn of events where we're going to sit here and say, when are you going to do something, Danny? Are you, mm-hmm. you going to do something? Or are you going to sit here and just twiddle your thumbs until they turn purple right. and maybe fall off? Well, the more you wait, Danny, guess who gets more leverage? The player. The Knicks. Not you. Yeah, the Knicks are going to get more leverage because they're going to say, okay, you waited this long. Now you're coming to us. It went from five to four. Take it or leave it. Leon Rose, it's spin the wheel, make the deal. You should have just made the deal and taken the five first-round draft picks and call it a day. But no, he won't do it because it's the Knicks, and he wants to tell the Knicks to go F themselves. But the Knicks are going to sit there and say, the big F you back, as you see right now what's going on in this situation. When we come back, Moneyline Mania with Chaz here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LA News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Chazzy, Chazzy, Chazzy. He is back, ladies and gentlemen. As always, as we call this segment, for all you betting people, Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania. With Chaz and the crew. Chaz, what's going on, buddy? All right, so the crew this week has officially become one more. Quinn Boston was born. Wes was going to be here today because, you know, he's off 
for being a new dad, but the baby's actually coming home. Congrats to them, and hope their baby sleeps. That's all you can do, guys, is when someone has a new baby, I hope it sleeps for them, because we had them that sleeps, and we have them that don't sleeps, and the sleeps is better than the don't sleeps. You would hope they sleep well, but Woo. you never know. Well, you know what? Whatever you do, you know, you could be a professional handicapper, you could be a radio guy, it doesn't matter. If your kid ain't sleeping, it's impacting your other aspect of your 24 hours a day. No doubt about it. But did you see our first ever horse race last week that we gave up oh i didn't see the race so we hit that we're gonna do the eddie reed tomorrow from delmar it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar race i got some baseball stuff to talk about and of course uh canadian football i love my canadian football but they have a game this sunday so start with baseball by the way i'm giving you a lot of credit for sparking the mets offense at the game i was at wasn't that cool yeah so i did it again later in the week I called another score, but I was right on. It was so I called six four Tampa nice. against Baltimore, and I had the over, so it was four to three going to the bottom of the night. So I need extra innings. It's the only way I'm going to get the over because it was eight. So as soon as they score that fourth run, if they can tie it with the over in baseball, you know you're getting that run. You're getting it. It's just a matter of when you get it. You know, right. and now with a guy on second, it's easier to get it. And then they tied it up in the bottom of the ninth, and the final score was 6-4. So the two games that I predicted the final score, I was wrong. Two games by, like, three runs. But both of them were all cash. And when you guess the final score, Peter, you're not doing it. Unless it's, you know how in the brackets, right? At the end of the brackets? Yep. For March Madness. That's mm-hmm. a tiebreaker. Uh-huh. Unless you're doing a tiebreaker. But how many times have you heard me interject and interrupt Hector? If he doesn't give me the score. I know. Because he's used to giving the score, so I'm used to hearing it. And that allows me to see what I'm seeing in the game. But my, in my write-up, I said, hopefully the Tampa Bay bats will come alive and this game will have fireworks uh, in the late innings. And I got a run in the bottom of the ninth and two runs in the top of the tenth. And that's about as late fireworks as you can get yep. in baseball. So uh-huh. We always do the f- final score picks before we do our NFL picks throughout the year, too. It's harder to get it right, obviously, with football. But I didn't get yes, one right all much. season. And then I actually picked the Super Bowl score right. There you go. Well, and that, you know what? Picking the Super Bowl score right could win you some money. Uh-huh. Just, you know, one of the 17, 16 games during the 17 weeks. There's a lot of games that weekend. But when you get to those... AFC and NFC conference championships, those last three games right. in the Super Bowl. You could find places where you could win money by guessing the right score. There's no doubt about it. So three weeks I've been doing this, you said, without any crew. Third straight well, week, going solo. We're talking about the same thing every week. So if, if Wes was here, I, I would say, hey, Wes, why do you think I'm talking about the same thing every week? He would say, because it's working. Why do you think I'm talking about the same teams every week? Because they're winning. The Yankees, 68 wins. Houston, 66 wins. Dodgers, 67 wins. Mets, 62 wins. Atlanta, 60 wins. This is not rocket science. This is, wow. For some reason, right now, in the last two to three weeks, these five teams are the best teams in baseball, and they're showing it on the diamond by winning by more than one and a half runs. And so what we're doing is that I mentioned the round robins with them. And and I remember we talked about the round robins, and that's really every possible combination you can get. It's kind of like boxing and horse racing, but for sports betting. So what we do, a three, four, five round robin. And it doesn't take much. If three of them win, now we're doing, you got to do run lines, right? If you saw the other day, somebody was minus 425. And we talk about what that means 
that you got to bet $425 to win $100. And it's just not sustainable. And if you look at the Yankees, we talked about them a lot with you guys. You look at the Dodgers, you look at Houston, all these teams are going to go in funks. And they're going to have two or three games where they're not hitting. They get beat by Kansas City Royals, teams they shouldn't get beat by. But if you have the other team, it's like plus 280. So it's like hitting a parlay, just betting one game. So all of these bets are focusing on the run line. It's, it's simply, it's the Yankees, Houston, Dodgers, Mets, Atlanta. If they all win by one and a half runs, you hit every single bet. There's 16 bets in this. So it's a three, four, five round robin. So you get every possible three-teamer combination of the five, every possible four-teamer combination of the five, and then, of course, the one five-teamer. Again, it's 16 bets. So say you're betting $10. It's going to be 160 bucks. You're betting $100. It's going to be 1600 bucks. As long as three of those teams cover, you're going to get about half of your money back. you get about half of your money back. So, again, that's not too bad. If you could lose and get half of your money back, most times you're going to take that. I mean, you, you sure, would you rather win? Hello. <laughs> but it's gambling, guys. It's gambling. So that's what I'm doing for baseball. But I'm telling you. For three weeks now, we're hitting three three teamers constantly, it seems like, and we've had a few of the four teamers. We haven't had a five teamer yet, though, and that's the key because the five teamers are 20 to 1 when the odds are normal. In this bet, it's like 10 to 1, but again, it doesn't take a lot of 10 to 1 plays, right, to make you a lot of money. 10 to 1's a lot of money. So let's look at the Canadian football. Now, we had another situation where on Thursday, I had the winner and West didn't. Oh, gaining yes. back ground. Yeah. There you go. Friday night. Last night I had a situation where I bet the over in the first half and under in the second half, which is a weird way to bet the game, and boom, boom, they both hit, so yeah. that was cool. Sunday night. Tomorrow night there is a game. It is Ottawa at Toronto. Ottawa's winless. 0-6. Brutal. So what we're doing is we're going with Toronto, but we're afraid of the points. So here's the thing. This team is winless. They're 0-6. They're going on the road to a Toronto team that's 3-2, and two, and they're only given five points. And that line seems too low to me, and I always worry when the line seems too low to me. And, and some guys will tell you that's exactly what the sports book wants you to think, and it messes with your head. Well, it did. It messed with my head, so I went with the over. I'm taking the over, and then I'm parlaying Toronto and the over and Toronto money line in the over. So as long as it goes over, I'm okay. If it goes under, I lose them all, but you know what? It happens. You know, you're going the opposite of Wes's playoff hockey philosophy where he thought those overs were too high and then right, the right, unders. Right, right, and, and again, the thing about the Canadian Football League is that there's so many things to t take into account, but it is a big-ass field. I mean, it's 110 yards. The end zones are 20 yards. It's a big field. So Much wider, the, too, yeah. Yeah, they have 12 people on that field, but it's still a big field, and what happens is uh, you can get some big plays. So, you know, you get big running plays, you get some big pass plays, and that's what we're hoping. Uh, Being that there's 12 men on the field, is there any CFL team, do you know of this, Wes might know this better, that dubs himself the 13th man, like the Seahawks oh, like, the 12th like man? Yeah. yeah, there probably is. You know, <laughs> people don't realize They've been around for 50 years. This is not, the CFL is not a new thing. It's new to sports betting weekly, but it's not even new to Wes. It's just new to us because the first couple of years he talked about it, we didn't follow it. And then the year we said we're going to start following it. When I say follow it, we capture every single point spread 
every single result for every single quarter, and we put it into our Easy Sports data. It allows me to see the handicapping a lot easier. But the fact that the pandemic came kind of threw us for a, yeah. a hiccup. So, so now the data we have goes all the way back to all of last year, which was a short year. They only played 14 games this year. I think they played 18. But it's just really nice. So some of the things that jump out at you when you look at that is teams – how they score, how they allow. So this year, if you got six games, you know, they're all in six, they might only have played three of those games at home, right? But having the data for last year, you can kind of see what did they do last year at home, and those are the kind of things that teams kind of do what they do. And we talk about it all the time. If somebody does something three or four times in a row, you're sitting around waiting for them to do the other thing, I think you're kind of stupid. Because they're, whatever, it's a girl cheats on you three or four times, guys. You know what I'm saying? All streaks have to end, Chas. <laughs> Some baseball for Sunday. Now, this baseball, though, remember, this is not something we're doing based on the pitchers, based on the results. We're just saying this has won us a lot of money. We're going to continue until it starts losing us money. And that is that uh, Yankees, 68 wins. Houston, 66 wins. Dodgers, 67 wins. Mets, 62 wins. Atlanta, 60 wins. They've been the best teams in baseball for at least three weeks now that we've been talking about. We've cashed a lot of money. you got to go, though. You really have to take the one and a half. You have to give the runs because it's just crazy. Otherwise, the odds are just too high. And then the very last thing is our horse race. So like Mm -hmm. I said last week, we gave you the two horses that ran one, two, so you hit the exact. We always, whenever, this is my philosophy. This is not data. This is just me. You know, just like some people have their numbers that they lose at at Mega Millions. My son has numbers he loses at every week. He keeps <laughs> betting them, but he keeps losing on them. Eventually, they're going to come through for him. Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, I hope so. Well, he's promised a lot of people houses. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, anyway. That'll um, do it. The kiss of death. The, exactly. Exactly. So, so I always take the higher odds. The second choice. I always take the second choice. And, again, a lot of the stuff that you hear on Moneyline Mania on with uh, the Weekend Crunch is simply because it's stuff you got to remind yourself constantly that just, it's the rules of the road. Don't forget, you know, certain places you can't turn right on red, you know. But (laughs) the favorites only win one out of three. So I always go with the second choice. And and that week, it turned out last Sunday to get us uh, 70-something dollars for $30. And again, ask yourself, you go somewhere and you give them 30 and they turn around to give you 77. You're probably not at a bar. There's not too many places that'll do that. So this is $85 you're going to have to bet. Now, it's really like $83.40, but we're going to say $85. So you're betting $85 tomorrow on the ninth race at Del Mar. It's the Eddie Reed. It's a grade two, mile and an eighth on the turf. And again, it's a quarter million dollar race. So here's what we're doing. There's six horses in this race. The three, five, six, nine, ten, eleven that we like, that we think could be there at the end. But that's too many horses to box. It'll cost too much money. So we're going to key three on top. And that's what a key means. You're keying these horses. So we're going to go with the three, six, nine. So for $18, we're going to have a $3 exacta box, three, six, nine. I always tell people, if you're going to spend your money at the racetrack, don't spend it evenly. Spend more money on the exactas because they're easier to hit. There's only two of them. The trifecta, tri means three, are three of them. And the superfecta, you got to hit four of them. Well, what do you think is going to be harder? Of course, the four is harder than the three, which is harder than the two. So we do a $3 exacta. That's $18 on the three, six, nine. 
and then a dollar tri box with 369 for the trifecta. Now, there's no super box because we're only picking three horses on top. So that's $24. We're going to bet $59.40 in the following manner. We're going to do the exacta with the 369 on top. So one of those is going to win, and then all of those second. Three, five, six, nine, ten, eleven. So you would literally say a $1 exacta key wheel, 369 with 3569 1011. You're going to do the same thing for the trifecta. 369 with 3569 1011. Again, that's 50 that's going to get you $30 for a 50 cent try. And then you're going to do the 3569 on top of all those six, on top of all those six, and on top of all those six for a 10 cent super. Now you're betting a dime. You literally could go to the machine with a dollar. You could bet a dime. The guy at the window will give you 90 cents. There's a 10 cent bet. Now, you're normally not just betting one of them, but you could. If you think you know the exact order of the four horses as they cross the finish line, in order, you could bet a dime on a race bet. And so you could go to the racetrack on a dollar and bet all 10 races. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing. We're going to have the three, six, nine. And as long as they win in any of the three, five, six, nine, 10 or 11 coming either second, third, or fourth, hopefully all of them. We are going to see. And then next Saturday night, hopefully we'll be saying two weeks in a row. Any Saratoga ones for this week? I know you were mentioning that a lot last week. And the reason I didn't do Saratoga is simply I am using the Del Mar Daily Racing Forum free race of the day. So they offer that. And I tell people it's a great way to practice with the racing form without having to spend $11 on the racing form. Think about it. You can go to the racetrack for a dollar. If you can get in for free, you don't have to pay to get in. But And you could bet 10 cents a race if you chose to. But if you want the racing form, it costs 12 bucks here. <laughs> so, yeah. so I go. Get into a betting event for free? No, that can't be. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you never know. You might have a coupon. Whenever that free race is Saratoga, it'll be Saratoga. Whenever that free race is Del Mar, it'll be Del Mar. Occasionally, it's something else. It'll be Monmouth some weeks. Monmouth has hey, some, you Monmouth. know, right in the summer is huge, right? Big races in the summer there. Yeah, we definitely passed that by on the way, and also Saratoga a little bit, too. Uh, on yeah. our way, my grandparents had a, uh, a resort they used to go to a lot in upstate New York. We always passed yep. those two spots on the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, summer racing is, is pretty cool. I enjoy it. And, of course, you know, when you're at Del Mar, it's so beautiful. And it's literally 13 minutes from my door. Wow. So I will leave. Get there, 15 minutes, hang out by the ocean. I go early bird. There's no other people, just the other betters. It's it's really special. I'm out of there by 11, 1130. I'm back <laughs> home. And then the races start when they start. You got a whole betting cult over there. The horse racing audience, though it's shrinking dramatically, and you've heard me say this before, they are a passionate little group. Yeah. They know each other. They see each other. And they go, but what's going to happen here in Southern California, eventually, it's going to be legal. And then it'll be a horse racing and sports betting at the same time. Whenever that day will come will be your celebration. Uh, I, I used to laugh that I would hope that I would live to see it. And I was being sarcastic. As you know, recently, that's not even being sarcastic. I'm being dead serious. Now or you're just live, waiting for the countdown series. to start. Right. Chaz, thank you for joining us. Solo for the third straight week. Yeah, but you know what? I'm doing okay with winners. I mean, last week we did really, really good. But what's my motto? Always be cashing. Moneyline Mania, ladies and gentlemen. Chaz, you looked pretty amazing today. A little sexy. I'm just kidding. He was an old guy, married. I'm not interested. But anyways, <laughs> Chaz and his team of gothic men. No, I'm just kidding. Good men, handicapped men that are the best in the industry. We're very happy to have him. Thank you to Chaz, as always. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? A little bit of hockey and then some crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch.
little chicken over there, but, uh, you know, I had a little chicken, but anyways. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speeder, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into crotch time, I want to say one thing to these NHL GMs, including the Florida Panthers. I don't know what the Florida Panthers were thinking, trading away the players that they did for Matthew Kachuk. I think Matt Kachuk is a great player. He had a great year. He's 24 years old, up-and-coming star. I met him. He's as big of a pain in the butt as his father was, and Keith, and his brother. You look at Florida. Florida was the best team in hockey last year. They gave up their second-best defenseman. They gave up their best offensive player. Best offensive player. The guy that was an MVP candidate last year. For Matthew Kachuk, who's good. He also played on one of the best offensive teams in the league. He also played with Johnny Goudreau on the same line as him. Does Florida have anywhere close to the speed of Johnny Goudreau on their team right now? No. So you add a name. Matthew Kachuk is a name. His father, as we know, Keith, will be a Hall of Famer. And Brady Kachuk. This was a terrible move, Speedy. The Panthers have taken possibly the biggest fall from grace for a President's Trophy team you might ever see when it comes to not only doing this, they get rid of their interim coach, which helped them win the President's Trophy. Yeah, they didn't win in the playoffs, but not every President's Trophy team does. The last one was Chicago, and that was a shortened season. So they do that. Then Matthew Tuchuk, obviously a great player, great young player, but is he worth Mackenzie Weger, who is a top 15 defenseman in the league, hits, blocks, is fast, does everything well. You got Jonathan Huberdo, like you're saying, our trophy finalist, has been steadily great for your team for the last I mean, he's 29, five but years. who cares? Right. He's 29. It's like he, it's not like he's 34. Like, he's 29. He's durable. Cole Schwint, who's a pretty good prospect, I think he was the second best in the Florida Panthers farm system, and they trade a first-round pick amidst all that for one Matthew Tuchuk. They better hope Matthew Tuchuk elevates not only the team, but every line, every individual on that team. Because now their team is going to get young all at once. And Matthew Tuchuk's going to be the guy that has to elevate all of them. Because Alexander Barkov could only do so much. And then there's a big drop-off from that and the next best player on, the, on that team. Because everyone is young all at once. So they better hope that Tuchuk is the team value guy that makes it work. Because He's not. Mackenzie Weger and Huberto were definitely those guys. And... The Panthers don't have a lot beyond that at that point to be able to trust. They'll especially be talking, on defense. They'll be talking about trading Matthew Kachuk in the next two years because he's not going to want to be there. Yeah, they better hope that's Why just... would he want to go to Florida from Calgary? I yeah. mean, maybe the money thing with the taxes over there, sure. probably. But why would you want to go to Florida? It's not Tampa. They're going to Florida. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know it's hot over there and they love it. The sun, great. Why would you want to be there? The ice is horrible there. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. But you know, want to know something? He got his money. So good good for him. I'm not going to attack him for the money that he got, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. They shouldn't have even won in the sweepstakes. So they're trying to shed salary cap, okay, but they shouldn't have been involved. And now their defense, outside of Ekblad, who doesn't stay healthy very often, is not very deep. Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here. It's Here. time for Crunch Time! We are back, ladies and gentlemen! Woo! <laughs> All right, we'll start this one in baseball. I'm going crazy today. I don't know what's going I on. I see that. All right, buy or sell. Shohei Artani or Juan Soto will be traded before the trade deadline. I am going to sell, sell, 
sell. There's no way Otani's going to be traded after the Mike Trout news with his back. They need a superstar there. He is the biggest superstar over there. He is the face of that organization and that team right now. There's no way they're trading him. As far as uh, who's the other guy? Juan Soto's going nowhere. I don't think it will be an option for them to trade him until the offseason when they can get as much as they possibly can for him. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. The Shohei Otani news have been too much of a surprise. It really only just came up last week. So I think it's just too much. He might be an offseason move for the Angels because the Angels aren't going to go anywhere fast where he's going to get a lot of value when you look at the full season. He's going to be an MVP candidate again. Aaron Judge is the leader for MVP right now, but he'll probably be a finalist the way the American League's played out. And I just think his value being a two-way player is going to be a lot for them to deal with all at once. And Juan Soto, I think it'll be more of an off-season type move too when no AC has the two years left. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. DK Metcalf will be traded early in his Seahawks contract either at the end of this year or next offseason. I believe so. I think he will be traded, especially with the quarterback situation that they have. And they're going to have a rookie quarterback come in probably the year after because they're in a draft one. So it's going to take a while to develop him. I don't think DK is going to want to be there for the development, so I am going to buy it. I'm going to sell it for that reason. I think they're going to want somebody to jumpstart this young quarterback and not have to deal with the situations that some of these other young quarterbacks dealt with when they had no weapons to start with. I think Seattle at least knows that they could trust Lockett and Metcalf to help out a young quarterback, even if the rest of the team isn't great right away. So I think they'll keep Metcalf for the length of it. We'll see after the three years how they still end up going from there, but I don't think they'll trade him right away. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Knicks will pull off the swap of the Julius Randle for Russell Westbrook that we've heard. I hope not, okay? I do not want Russ there. It's enough that we have Julius there. We don't need another (laughs) crazy lunatic over there trying to uh, take over the organization and the team. I am hoping, praying, so I'm going to sell it. I'd rather Julius Randle, as crazy as it may seem. Julius Randle staying with the Knicks. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think the Knicks, remember, they were rumored for Russell Westbrook about a year and a half ago, too, when they were also trying to trade for Chris Paul and a couple other players, too. So if they weren't going to do it then, I don't think they're going to do it now. I think Julius Randle, if he ends up getting traded, will be like in a contract swap type deal for something that they could use on their roster, not something that they'll buy out, like Russell Westbrook is $47 million. So I am going to sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. A former Ranger now gets another head coaching job. David Quinn, now with the Sharks. He will last longer there than he did with the Rangers. He was two and a half years with the Rangers. I'm going to buy it. I I think the Sharks bringing him in because the Sharks are a veteran team. He has not been good with the young guys, as we saw over there with the Rangers. I think he'll probably be better with the veteran guys. I think there are veteran guys there that are ready to win now. I don't know if David Quinn's ready to win, but... I think it makes more sense over there than being a part of a young organization. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think he's definitely one that fits with the veteran players if they do end up keeping some of them because they're not going to be able to trade all those big contracts. So at least make it a little more of a desirable destination. So I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. The Mets will trade for Wilson Contreras. I don't know what the Mets are thinking. The Mets are going to have to give up a top prospect, and they're going to have to give up one of those guys. There's no way they're just going to say, here, take the best catcher in baseball. And we'll just take whatever you're going to give us. I'm going to sell it because I don't think the Mets are willing to give up prospects that they're going to be asking for. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think they're just going to be focused on the pitching at this point. They got their bat, their DH type. They also have Alvarez. Alvarez could be called up before the season's end. Exactly. So I I think they're going to stay stay pat. Alvarez is really only going to be dealt in a big blockbuster type deal anyway. They're not trading him. There's no shot they're going to trade him for Contreras. They're not trading him, period. so hard to find a catcher that good, and he's the number one prospect in baseball. Yeah, so I think the Mets will focus on the relief pitching, too. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Kevin Durant will be traded to the Celtics. 
I'm going to buy it. I think it's going to happen. Even though we were saying that it might not happen, I think it's going to happen. They'll figure it out. They're going to meet halfway, and they're going to get this thing done. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think Brad Stevens is going to try to manipulate where they don't have to do it with Jalen Brown. They're going to try to make it work with maybe some of the draft picks again because the Nets have none of them. But I don't think it's going to work. I think the Nets, the way they've been asking for too much at this point, and the Celtics being as stingy as they are, even post Danny Ainge, I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Kawhi Alexander will last longer than just his current one-year deal with the Jets. I'm going to buy it. C.J. Mosley could be dropped at the end of the season or asked to renegotiate his deal because he's making a lot of money. And I think Kawan, being that Robert Sala is there, wants to be there. And unless C.J. Mosley takes less money, they both could stay there. I still think Kawan Alexander will fill in for C.J. Mosley when he parts ways with the Jets eventually. So I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it too. I think he realizes too that the Jets are going to make a leap this year. I can't imagine them not at least improving by at least three wins this year. And I they, I think a lot of Jets fans are saying like next year will be the big year. It will. Be. I think Kawan yeah. Alexander will be on the ride for that, and he'll get another like two, three-year deal, short deal, especially like you're saying with Mosley probably being gone. So I'll buy it as well. All right, last one. The Yankees will make a trade for Frankie Montes. I think it's going to happen because they believe they needed a starter pitcher. I think it's a mistake because I don't trust these ace pitchers. But, again, it's the Yankees, and, and Brian Cashman and Brian we trust. So hopefully a third time around so it's not three strikes. He hits a home run. With Montez. So I am going to buy it. I think it's going to happen. I am going to sell it. I think the Athletics are going to ask for a lot. I think the Yankees, Brian Cashman will be very tough with it. I think there's going to be another team that swoops in and gets a bigger offer. I, I can see a team like the Cardinals making that type of trade where they trade a lot because their pitching has been up and down this year. And I think they could use more depth. You could see a team like the Braves. I think that's a move they could make for sure. They don't have as much depth in their rotation this year. And he's a guy that's a power pitcher, young guy that they could develop too. I think they'll offer a little more than the Yankees with the way Cashman is. So I am going to sell it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the weekend crunch time. And everybody knows we like to rip it. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody had fun. Thank you to Trevor Price. Thank you to Moneyline Mania. Chaz has been fantastic. We'll be back next week with new guests, new craziness. So stay tuned. Keep listening as we are the voices of sports radio here in Long Island. Good night, everybody.